You are listening to the When Life Stops podcast, season two, with your host, Daytola and Stella. We are both moms who have loved and lost, and we're so glad to have you listening. Every week, you would hear more about our stories, some relatable interviews, as well as practical tips that you can apply to help you find new meaning after loss. Let's dive in. Hello and welcome to episode 8, season 2 of the When Life Stops podcast. We are so glad to be back. If this is your first time tuning in, welcome. If you're a regular, welcome back. Today, we have a very special guest in the house who will be sharing her story about finding love after the death of a spouse. But before we introduce our guest, let me check in with my girl, Stella. How are you doing, girl? Hi, Dick Toller. I'm good. Thanks. How are you? Good to have you back again. What an awesome season. Season two is turning out to be. Yes. We've had back to back to back interviews. Mm-hmm. And I'm so grateful we've got the opportunity to be able to sit down with our esteemed guest yes. and to chat with them. So thank you. I know. It's really exciting to be back today. And we had such an amazing time on the last episode and all the other episodes before. And I'm sure today we'll have a great time as well. Um, So like I said, we have a special guest. And this is someone who has made a huge difference to my own life in recent years. Um, Her name is Carol Henderson, the CEO of Grieve UK. Carol trained me to become a grief recovery specialist. So you can see how special she is to to me personally and to be here today. And you've probably heard me mention a few times on the podcast that doing the grief recovery training was the best thing that helped me after uh, Moraki or Caleb died. And so it is such an absolute delight to have Carol here with us today. Carol has also suffered loss in her life, and we're going to be talking about one of her losses um, today, which is the death of her first husband. And I know that she's going to walk us through some of her journey, her story, and how she was able to find love after her tragic loss. Awesome. As we mentioned in um, last week's episode, the death of a spouse is probably one of the most devastating tragedies, you know, that one will um ever ever have Um, especially when you had a good marriage you know and you had dreams of growing all together many widows or widowers deal with conflicting emotions especially when it comes to finding love again so with carol today we would love to hear your story and hopefully other widows and widowers who may be trying to navigate love again, will be able to glean from you. So welcome, Carol. We are so delighted to have you here with us today. It's such an honor. And I really celebrate you because I know how much um, the grief recovery method played a, 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 had an impact on, on Betola. So thank you and for the amazing work that you're doing. And we're so glad that you are with us today. So welcome. Thank you, Stella, and of course, Ditola. I am thrilled to be here uh, with two very amazing women. And I'm really pleased you've asked me to share your story because you're right, so many 
widows and widowers get really conflicted on living the rest of their life after a spouse has died and how to do that. So if I can help even one person feel a little bit better, then it's absolutely worthwhile doing. Um, but really, I'm here because I really, really love um, Ditola and her enthusiasm. And it's great to meet you too now, Stella. So I'm excited to be here. I'm sure we're going to have some fun. We're so excited. No, I know. Yes, we, we are the queens of having difficult conversations with a smile. You know, I think <laughs> one of our episodes, someone said, you two ladies are too chirpy and too excited to be discussing this kind of topic. I know, and I right. said, well, <laughs> Well, this is what you get with the taller and stellar. (laughs) And here's the thing we can talk about because I'm sometimes say, oh, here comes the grief lady. And Mm -hmm. I was going to, I said, I'm not the grief lady. I'm the recovery lady. I'm about helping people move forwards through their grief. Mm. Um, So that's what I'm all about, which is um, why I think it's important to have these conversations, to let people know that it is possible to move through it because it's all too easy to get stuck in it. Um, yeah, so, so good. So, good. Yeah. so just tell us, tell us about yourself. Tell us what you do. Let's get to know you a bit more. Who is Carol Henderson? Oh, that's a big one, isn't it? So we've only got a short time. So um, what do I do? Well, I teach the grief recovery method. I train people like Ditola and um, many other people to pass the method on to others. That's what I do now. But if I take you back in time, it's very, very different to what I was doing. Um, So back in uh, 2006, I was a marketing communications person. Um, So I worked in an agency. I worked on car launches. I helped car manufacturers sell more cars, essentially. So it's a very, very different life that I lead now than I led then. Um, But uh, it all came down to that one big loss, that real big turning point in my life. Um, Because in 2006, I was very happily married to Kevin and had been for 20 years. Wow. Wow. We met when I was 18 years old and he was 19. So he wasn't my first boyfriend. but he was kind of my second long-term boyfriend. So I dated one guy between the ages of 16 and 18, you know, so I wasn't sort of the girl that had lots and lots of guys. Um, so I met Kevin, I was 18 years old. I, thought, I remember thinking I'm drat because <laughs> having come out of a two-year relationship at 18, I was quite looking forward to having fun and meeting lots of different people. But after a week of being dating Kevin, I, I knew he was the one. And, oh. and I was, that's why I was drat because this is, <laughs> this is it now. Um, but I knew kind of from the minute that I kind of first danced with him that oh. we met at a mutual friend's birthday do at a nightclub and he was six foot four and I'm five foot three (laughs) and in my four inch spike heels I still looked up to him Um, and I knew he was oh he was great and he was a really lovely guy and we were very happily married you know like all couples we had our ups and downs and struggles and differences but it was a good marriage and it was still a good marriage 20 years later Um, now he was um to say six foot four he also had ash blonde hair and bright blue eyes so yeah classic Aryan looking 
everyone would say, is he German? <laughs> no, no, fair. <laughs> um, and uh, now he did have quite a few moles on his skin. So I was very aware of um, skin cancer because he was so fair. I'm pretty fair myself, but he was like really fair. Mm. Um, so we were aware of it, but he was covered in moles. So when they say look for a new one, you know, <laughs> it's just not going to happen. But in 2005, there was a mole on his leg, which um, was bleeding. Mm. And I'd noticed and said, you really need to get that checked out. And he wouldn't go. Um, now, Kevin, like a lot of guys, is really wary of going to the doctor. And now it'll be all right. Now it'll be all right. You know that thing that, you know, a lot of men do, ah, it'll be fine. It'll be fine. Mm -hmm. Nothing to worry about. But, you know, a few months went on. I noticed the plaster was still on his leg. And I think he kind of knew something was up. Um, anyway, he agreed to get it looked at. And um, kind of long story short, it was malignant melanoma and it was a very big tumor mm. um now the thing with skin cancer there's no treatment they cut it out and if they get it all great if they don't get it all then you're in trouble wow. um because it's kind of 98 percent uh, treatable if you catch it early and 98 percent fatal if you don't wow. um, so we're too late so they cut this thing out of his leg in 2005 um, and our life changed quite a bit just right there with that diagnosis mm. because up until that point, he'd been super healthy. He's one of those irritating people that had never had a day off sick in his life, mm. didn't really know what pain was. Um, but then having had this great big lump of his leg taken away and a skin graft and mm. um, this big scary diagnosis, it really did have an impact on him and it, it changed his outlook on life. And it, mm impacted our relationship quite a bit so that there were some ups um but it was it was a really difficult year in many ways um in 2006 in the spring um the company i was working for bought another company there were redundancies in the offering so i took redundancy mm. and um he was also made redundant so mm -hmm. neither of us were working wow. and we said this is fine do you know what we'll we'll take the summer off because it was kind of early spring um we'll take the summer off and we'll both look for new jobs come september yeah. the good news was that we had um a critical illness policy that had already paid out because he had this diagnosis so we weren't too stressed about money that was a real blessing that we decided to sign and i very nearly didn't because it was quite expensive and i mm -hmm. should we do this i'm so glad we did mm. so glad we did so we were kind of comfortable financially that wasn't the worry so neither of us are working so we had this really nice holiday driving around the us and, and canada came back but it started to feel unwell while we were away and when we got back um, at the beginning of September, um, he went to the hospital for a checkup and that's when they found out the cancer was back. So wow. they'd cut it out and prayed um, 2005. So almost exactly a year later, yeah. um, this, he got symptoms, but by that point it was in his liver wow. um, and lungs. So it was everywhere and he died on the 1st of November. So it was wow. two months that we had after we knew that it was back and it mm. just it 
it felt like forever in my head. I can't get my head around the fact that it was only two months. Mm. Because at the time I was living it, it felt like about two years. Yeah. And I, so, because it's, you know, when you grieve, and they say time flies when you're having fun, it does the exact opposite when you're going yeah. through a horrible time. Yep. Yeah. And it was like time expands out of all recognition. And so when you're on that treadmill, you're just on this treadmill and you're not thinking too much. And I must mm -hmm. admit, that, you know, I I couldn't wrap my head around that he wasn't going to be there anymore. And mm -hmm. no one had actually sat us down and said, this is it. It was all kind of euphemisms and, you know, they kind of ducked around it, kind of assumed we knew this mm -hmm. was it. No one actually talked about it or gave me a timeline or anything. Mm. So anyway, um, on the 1st of November when he died, he died at home. Mm. And it felt like every strand of DNA in every cell in my body had been ripped in half. Wow. I cannot describe to you the physical agony. No one talks about that grief physically hurts. People mm -hmm. kind of get that it's emotionally painful. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, but, you know, when you see these TV dramas and, and you see these young widows in black, by the way, and they're dabbing neatly at their cheeks, mm -hmm. it doesn't happen like that. Mm -hmm. You're in absolute pieces yeah. wailing at the sky. And I was shredded, mm -hmm. absolutely mm -hmm. shredded into pieces. And I had no clue how to breathe, mm -hmm. how to do anything. It was just, I was barely functioning. I didn't know it's possible to be in that much pain and still live. Wow. Mm. Wow. And I can't kind of overstate that enough because I think is people kind of who haven't been through this sort of scale of loss, mm. watch too much TV drama, get no real clue. And um, I wish I'd known a little bit more. I mean, you can't ever really prepare, mm -hmm. but I think there's, I, w I, I actually thought, I, I was having a heart attack at one point and mm. I went to the doctor and said, I, I'm worried, my heart's racing yeah. and this is happening. And the GP said, Carol, it isn't. Mm -hmm. so this is it. And he said, it's your heartbeat is normal. It feels like it. This is, this is the grief. Yeah. This is a really common grief symptom. Is it? Oh, I didn't know that. Did mm -hmm. you know? Mm -hmm. So he said, yeah, the, ang the anxiety and the racing heart is, really he said we just need to look after you and um so they were very kind um but i had no clue so at that point i said i didn't had no job my husband did i says no man uh, i don't have any kids so there was no kids wow. we didn't have any pets so there was just me wow. in this house on my own and i felt like the only thing anchoring me to the earth was the house because mm. nothing left wow. just just this house so um uh i you you, you stumble through the next minutes mm. and i'm fortunate to, i you know i've got um supportive family so um my mum was great i mean she's since passed away my brother was good um i had some great friends around me who were very patient with me um so they helped me through those really early days and um so I got through that with uh, with some good friends and some good support. Um, rang a bereavement charity, just got put on a waiting list. Mm. Um, you know, I was um, went back and um, begged for some sleeping tablets from the doctor. He wouldn't give me any. Um, 
And then he gave me that hard look and he said, you're not taking anything, Kevin's I No. <laughs> <laughs> that's because I'd finished them by then wow. um, because I you know the, you I couldn't sleep I was exhausted and couldn't sleep and you know I'm, I'm sure many of your listeners who've been through loss will will be nodding going yeah. along knowing that feeling of sheer exhaustion and it just won't let you go into unconsciousness to get respite from this yeah. agony right yeah. now I'm also um, a, a woman who isn't very good at sitting around and waiting mm. to feel better. I'm very practical, pragmatic um, person. So I started to look around for ways to help myself. Mm. I did go for aromatherapy massage. You know, I went, I did go for exercise, mainly sobbing on the yoga, yoga mat quite a lot. Um, but I was looking for ways to help myself. And then um, one day, by this point, we're in 2007, I was on um, Amazon reading a book review and, and the book review said, this book's okay, but it's not as good as the Grief Recovery Handbook. Uh-huh. So um, went and found the Grief Recovery Handbook. Now, back in 2007, you couldn't buy it on Amazon in the UK. Wow. I, so I bought a used copy from the US and it took over two weeks to arrive. That's, a, again, you know, we're in this slow-moving time zone. Two weeks is like forever. <laughs> yeah, right? exactly. If finally, this little book came. And um, when I read it, it was like these two guys um, mm. from the US had reached into my heart and read what was there because this book so resonated with me in the way that nothing else. I mean, I bought lots of other books. Mm-hmm. And most of the books I read were stories of other people's pain, mm-hmm. which I've got enough of my own. I really don't need anyone else's right now. But this was the first one that actually said, here is a way that you can help yourself. And I'm like, finally, one that's not like real dry, dusty academic theory that I couldn't relate to because I'm not really academic. And it wasn't someone else's stuff. It was, here, you can help yourself. So I read it avidly. And it talked about people called grief recovery specialists, but there weren't any in the UK. Okay. But you could also work through it. It's a self-help book. You can work through it on your own with a friend. And I'm like, okay, ring round the friends. <laughs> and finally, I found someone who agreed to, to work with me. And um, so we'd meet up every Monday night over a, a Chinese. We'd have a Chinese and then do our grief recovery work. And um, we follow the instructions in the book. And um, they just, I can't tell you how powerful it was to do that. So reading it was one thing. Doing it with Alison, it it just made a huge step change for me. And after I did that, I found that I could lift my head up a bit and I could start to function and I started to rebuild myself. Mm. I also had some coaching from um, a lovely lady who specialised in coaching widows. So some of that helped as well. So there was a few things that I was putting in, but reading that book was the turning point. So I started mm. to rebuild my life. Mm. And then, um, so I retrained and I trained to test people for food intolerances. Because it was wow. too, I know, random, right? But here's the thing. I'd, I'd left um, the uh, agency world where I was doing car launches and all this stuff that sounds glamorous, but really is just a giant pain in the neck most mm. of the time. And um, so I needed something to do and I didn't feel motivated to go and help manufacturers sell more cars. I want to do something more worthwhile. I had that whole reevaluate what am I on earth for? Yeah. Conversation with myself. Mm-hmm. 
And I thought, I want to do something to help. Now, I can't train to be a doctor and I can't cure cancer, but mm. but maybe I could. And it was actually my mum who was really struggling with food intolerances. And she'd asked me to find someone who did the testing. Mm. Well, okay, well, maybe here's a way I can help because it was a two-day course. I can concentrate for two days. I'm sure I can manage two days. Okay. Mm. So I did the course, bought the machine, and um, then it dawned on me I had to start a business. Because, <laughs> you know, I've been so focused, you know, grieving head, I can do one thing at a time. Yeah. Got through mm. the course. That was that was a struggle, but I did it. Bought the machine. That's easy. That's just around a check. And then I went, oh, crap, now I've got to find some customers. Mm-hmm. So I then had to start design some leaflets and, and some ads and think about where I was going to work and, and all that stuff. So that took me a long time mm. to get going. And I also started a three-year course in nutrition therapy. And I wow. found it very rewarding because I was helping other people. You know, one person, you know, I wasn't curing cancer, but I was helping reduce IBS. And that for, for people, that was a huge, huge breakthrough. So they were more comfortable, healthier, more energized. So I was helping lots of people, lots of different physical So, so um, sorry to cut you, so would you say that you were trying to keep busy? Is that what you were doing at um, the time? I, th- I think I was trying to find fulfillment mm. um, because I think the, the keep busy thing I'd, I'd done madly kind of the previous summer um, in, you know, going to all these different exercise classes mm. and um, quite, sort of like oh, lots of online forums. Yeah. And I am a helper outer, you know, I, I am one of, you know, Russians. So I would be on uh, job recruitment forums, giving people advice on how to get into marketing or, mm-hmm. or how to do well in a job interviews because, I, you know, I used to recruit people. Yeah. Um, so I was, I was wanting to help others in any way that I could find. I'd, I'd hang out on widows forums um, and talk about the, how the book had helped me and, and what I'd done to get through. And mm-hmm. so it was always uh, about being out there helping others. I'd also mm-hmm. trained in in a couple of other things that had helped me, like thought field therapy helped me. And I was I was kind of doing okay and I started to rebuild. I was still fragile, but I was yeah. starting to rebuild. I was lonely as anything. That yeah. you know, and someone put it beautifully, which is um, when you lose your life partner, it's really easy to find someone to do something with. You know, you can find a friend to go to the shops with. It's really hard to find someone to do nothing with. Mm. You know, just those times on Sunday evenings when you're just chilling out and, you know, you're going to start the week and just and say nothing and do nothing, but just be, yeah. you know, just watching yeah. the TV. You know, not, not, it's not the big stuff. Yeah. You know, you yeah. can find the courage and the energy to, to go to the barbecue and, and find someone to go to the barbecue with. It's when you get home and the house is empty. Mm. Wow. That's, that's, the, that's the horribleness of it. Mm. And, wow. um, you know, waking up and there's a space there and eating every meal alone. And I hate eating alone mm. because I wasn't even going to work. I couldn't even have lunch with co-workers, yeah. you know, because I was yeah. self-employed and working from home. So everything was alone. I was so lonely. Yeah. Um, so I was still, you know, hopping on Internet forums and helping people out. Um, and then so I kind of started to, to put myself together and I was still I think the biggest issue then was loneliness. Mm. So I had experimented with dating. Stella, are you going to ask me something then? Mm. But I was just going to say that I, I really, really um, love your vulnerability and mm-hmm. 
you know, and I know that we would ha- that we have listeners who have experienced loss of a spouse, and one of those things that you know they're not very open about is the loneliness because mm-hmm. you don't want people to pity you, you don't want people to, you know, try to add you onto their list of okay, can we do this together? You know, and just being able to admit it, yeah. I'm lonely yeah. in a sense is a form of liberation because you're able to name what it is you're feeling. Mm-hmm. You know, so I just really wanted to say thank you for sharing that. Yeah. And, and thank you for that. And here's the thing. Um, it's very hard to say it to others out loud. You know, I'm a long way down the line now. Yeah. At the time, I would never have said it out loud. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it's really hard when people see you up and dressed and the lippy on. Mm-hmm. Oh, you're doing so well. And I'm the inside, I'm thinking you have no flipping clue. Mm-hmm. <laughs> really. And um, there was a quote from, from someone that was never credited, but I love it. It's like, when you say I am strong, I feel you do not see me. Mm-hmm. Go, okay, well, you're strong. And I'm like, I'm really not. This is exactly. fake. You know, th- exactly. This is completely fake. Inside, I'm broken. I'm lonely. I'm scared. What if this is the rest of my life? Yeah. Yeah. And but here's the thing. Um, you know, we, we, we talked about you know people feel about finding love again. Yeah. Pretty early on, and I mean really early, like days, not weeks. I remember standing in my garden and realizing that aged forty and widowed. I could well have longer alive without him than I had with him. Mm. 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 Even though I'd been mm. married with him and I'd been with him since I was 18. So I had been my entire adult life. Yeah. Mm. That one man. I'd never made an adult decision on my By own. Mm. Wow. Um, and, but I've got 30 plus years to go. Mm. And mm. I thought, wow, you know what? He didn't get a choice. That choice mm. was taken from him. Wow. I have a choice. Mm. I can either live mm-hmm. or I can exist. And I mm. thought, you know what, Carol, I think you have to just say that again. You just have to say that again. <laughs> Louder for those at the back. <laughs> that, is, that is so good. So good, so good, so good. You have had a choice. He didn't I get to have a choice. choice did not get a choice, mm-hmm. um, you know, and, and, you know, if we we're going to be really small, what he got, he had a choice. He didn't go to the doctors, mm-hmm. but you know what? Um, the, at the end of the day, he did not choose to leave me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He left me. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And here's the mm-hmm. thing. Um, even the church only makes you promise till they die. True. Yeah. <laughs> you know what? That's true. Uh, and, you know, even the church doesn't expect you to kind of promise you're, you know, for eternity, it's till yeah. death do us part, right? Yeah. So, and that, that's, you know, sort of head stuff. But in my heart, I thought, I like being married. I like mm. male company. I don't want to be on my own for the rest of my life. And actually, it seemed I was quite good at it, you know, because, you know, I had a successful 20-year marriage. So I've got a choice. So I decided mm-hmm. right then and there in my garden that I was going to live for two. Wow. And I had no idea how I was going to do that, but I was going to. And I think it was um, because I made that decision, even though in my, my really dark days when I thought I just want to be with him, um, mm. I can't do this anymore. I thought he didn't get to choose you do keep going. And so it was that kind of little voice at the back of my head 
was was telling me that. So mm. I'm living for two. So when I did find the courage to go out and go to a barbecue or a dinner party or something and and wow, you know, being a single in your forties when you're being a couple. I think you know Bridget Change remember the smug marrieds. You know, mm. being around the smug marriage and, and people looking at you with pit. Oh, you know that poor, poor, poor Carol. She's the one whose husband mm. died. Mm. That yeah, it's hideous. And you know, it, it's way easier to stay at home. Mm. And a lot of the time, I did. You know, I wasn't any. I was no superhero here. Mm. Um, so I decided to live. So um, I knew at some point I wanted to meet someone else. So fairly early on, um, and people would say to me, oh, he'd want you to be happy. I'm like, do you know what? He's not here. He doesn't get a vote. Mm. <laughs> I like that. He doesn't get a vote. <laughs> what would Kevin want? He's not here. He doesn't get a vote. You know, I can't live like that. I can't live what would Kevin do, what would Kevin say. Mm. I sort of have conversations with him and yell at him every now and again for leaving me to work it out on my own. You know, I, I, I really don't want to come off as someone who had this easy because it really wasn't like that. Yeah. But it's just finding those moments of light. Um, and it was appreciating what I had. Um, you know, so, uh, you know, I didn't have to worry about the finances because of that decision to sign that, that insurance paperwork. And I'm thankful and appreciative. And it still felt horrible sometimes spending the money because it felt like blood money. All of that stuff. So I had all those conflicting feelings around that. But at the end of the day, he was sorry, Carol. Let, let me let me before because I know you're going you're, you know, you're sharing all with us. But you've talked about how you know you made up your mind, and I think that's powerful. The ability to be able to decide that you were going to move forward. But were you ever concerned about what people were going to say about you remarrying? Because and yes. again, it, for I think I mean Stella and I are both from Nigeria, and there, there's probably some cultural element to remarrying after you've lost a spouse from in Africa. But generally, from your point of view, were you worried about what people are going to say or do or his family? Oh, yes. Mm. You know, most of all, yeah. his mum, yeah. sister, mm-hmm. and, you know, so my in-laws, in other words. And then I had that, oh, at what point do they stop being in-laws? Mm-hmm. Um because, you know, the contract kind of ended. Um, but yeah. it's like, they're still kind of, they're his family. That's who yeah. I was most concerned about. Yeah. Um, and so that, again, it was like one of those, well, do you know what? I know from, you know, how I was before all this happened. Mm. I also know you're damned if you do and you're damned if you don't. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, and you can't please all the people all the time. And, mm-hmm. and living to please other people is not a pathway. No, no, no. And um, what I do know is when I did start putting my foot into the dating pool, mm. you know, there was some, oh, <laughs> Carol's dating, you know. So there's some good for her. And there's the, <sighs> and, you know, you're, just, you're going to get that. True. You know, it could be 10 years and there'll be something, oh, she's already. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, you can't win. And I think what you really have to do is acknowledge that you're going to be judged. Mm-hmm. And do you know what? I'd rather be judged trying to have fun than be judged staying at home really loud and 
sad and lonely and, you know, ready to slip my wrists. Mm. Um, so I'm very social. So I wanted to be out and be social. Let me tell you, dating in your 40s, when the last time you dated, there was no internet. Mm-hmm. Mm. Like mobile phones. Oh, my God, webcams. That was a nightmare that was waiting to happen. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, I met my dates at the bus stop previously, oh, Dave. Yeah. Suddenly I'm in this dating world. This is a whole separate podcast. Messenger. Yahoo Messenger. Yahoo Messenger, yeah. Yeah, 15 years ago. Mm-hmm. And, you know, people sending photographs of... You really Good didn't... Self. Yes. Self-portraits <laughs> of bits that don't need to be seen. And all of this nonsense. And you're like, oh... Just come back. And and the difference between dating and being in a relationship. Mm-hmm. But dating in the 21st century is a very different experience it, to, it is, to yeah. dating in the 80s. That, that's when I was dating last, mm. early 80s. Hmm. Um, so, yeah, it, it <laughs> was hard. Um, and... I was in a weird place. Mm-hmm. I, I went through a phase of only dating younger men because I didn't want anyone else dropping dead on me. Mm. Wow. I, I just want you to talk about that, you know, because that fear, how did you navigate that fear of a recurrence? You know, and this is a, this is a reality with, you know, with, with people who have experienced loss. loss. Yeah. Because somewhere yeah. at the back of your mind, there is that niggling fear that would, what if it happens again? And you're just sharing how that fear was kind of dictating who you who chose you to yeah. date. I just want you to, you know, shed more light on that. And here's the weird thing. I didn't even notice I was doing it. I had a, a male friend come over and I said, can you have a look at my dating profile just to see what kind of, how you would see it? You know, what message am I putting out with bloke eyes on? Mm-hmm. And um, so we did that. And, and then he said, so then he was obviously intrigued by who I was looking at. So when I was pointing them out, he said, okay, he said, the ones you're picking at, all the photos, they're outside and they're all kind of pretty active. And then what I was basically doing was almost unconsciously selecting the ones that looked fit and healthy healthy wow wow and um and as soon as i hadn't seen it he pointed it out and i was like because i'm not really big into outdoors myself you know mm-hmm. i was not the one that's going to respond to let's go up mountains every weekend mm-hmm, that's not me I'm, I'm the one that wants to sit in the coffee shop and eat cake so wow. so there i was picking it out and i was very i was aware when i was going through the younger guy phase because i thought if you can drop dead at 40 mm. I didn't really want to start a relationship with someone in their fifties or older. So I was, and then I guess by this point, um, I'd, I'd kind of re- decided, reread the book and, and it was getting my head around the fact that actually there's no calling it. Mm. I, I joined a, a widowed and young, uh, which is the support group for people widowed under 50. Mm-hmm. And I've met lots of widows and widowers, you know, that car accidents, terrorist attacks, mm-hmm. cancer, heart attacks, sudden adult death, all these different. I thought, well, do you know what? And I, I really had to tell myself and repeat myself, 
it can happen anytime to anybody. Mm-hmm. And actually, which am I more scared of? Am I more scared of being alone the rest of my life or am I more scared that I'll get hurt again? Mm. Wow. I love it. I love and it. So it's I like have- you did a lot of reflection. And I, I had so it. much time to talk about because <laughs> I was self-employed. I wasn't that busy. Yeah. I lived and that's, that's the beauty about life because think about it as a griever or even generally when you're so busy, you don't have time for this kind of self-reflection. And that's mm-hmm. what the pandemic did for a lot of people. They suddenly had so much time to reflect. Oh, so, wow. I'm just loving how you're doing all this, you know, self-awareness. And, and you know what, what looked like a horror show at the start of my journey, which was being so completely alone. I didn't have any distractions. I didn't have any kids. I didn't have any pets. And, mm. um, and some days it was hard to get up because I was there to get up for. The flip side was I was grieving 24-7. I didn't have anywhere to go. Mm. I couldn't hide in work. I couldn't hide. So the upside of that was... I didn't push my grief down. I didn't suppress it. I allowed it to happen. So I think that was part of it as well. And a lot of these reflections came out of that. And so I did a lot of reading. So that kind of guided me to to kind of come up with some of this stuff. Mm. I'm I'm naturally an optimist. That is my leaning. I lean towards painting a silver lining. So I can... Even without someone coaching me, I can usually take something and reframe it for myself to put, um, mm. you know, to look at both sides. And I think an attitude of gratitude is is helpful mm. as well. So, so a question for you, for you, Cara, and I'm not sure if you would have the answer, but I would still ask. Do you think if you had children, it would have been different in terms of how you were able to navigate looking for love again? Yes, Absolutely. Um, And I've got friends who are widowed with children. And I remember having a chat with one of them once and she said, I don't know how you function without kids. And I said, I don't know how you function with kids. Mm -hmm. (laughs) The truth is we can each only plot our own course. And I do know if you're talking about finding love again, kids add an extra complication. Mm -hmm. You know, I didn't have to worry about if I brought someone home. Yeah. You know, when we heard or seen, at what point do I introduce them? And they're going to get that sort of another loss again if the relationship doesn't work out. Yeah. A whole different complication. So yeah. I don't have any experience of that. And my heart goes out to men and women in that position because it's mm. just what I was worried about, having never had kids, was dating dads. Uh. Also, at age 40, so, you know, looking at men in their early 40s, mm-hmm. on one day I went out. And this guy had a 16-year-old daughter. Oh, wow. <laughs> and I'm like, whoa. Um, you know, and then you time travel, don't you? Even on your first date, you time travel. You go, oh, God, I'm going to meet the 16-year-old and uh, stepmom. <laughs> you know, because let's face it, when you're growing up, stepmoms don't exactly get a good press, do they? So, <laughs> very bad one. <laughs> and then... The following week, that didn't work out that one. Mm. Uh, and it was nothing to do with the 16-year-old. We just weren't connecting. Mm. And then the following week, I met, went out with a guy, same age. He was a granddad. Right? <laughs> oh, my goodness. He started <laughs> early. His kids started early. Oh, wow. Um, all this stuff I didn't have to think about. So it was actually, for me, the challenge was, can I integrate with someone who's got kids? I have no mm-hmm. experience of around children um so that was a worry 
So mm. you think, and then there's a bit of you go, well, you know, if they're a dad, they had a relationship, there's some responsibility there. Is there? Not guaranteed. Mm-hmm. And, and if they haven't had that, mm-hmm. why not? Um, so, exactly. So all those conflicting <laughs> emotions and questions, where you're like, it's a nightmare. And, you know, I think it, and when it comes down to is what you soon realize is you just, we're all just muddling through this. Mm-hmm. And it's really easy to beat ourselves up. Mm-hmm. It's really easy to go, oh, I can't do this. It's too complicated. And she's got it easier or he's got it easier. And they have no idea what it's like for me. But you know what? We're all just putting one through the other and trying to work it out as we go along. And um, so how t- did you meet Kevin? I mean, not them, not Kevin. Ian, so how did you meet Ian? How did I meet Ian? Oh, okay. <laughs> so, um, scroll forward a few years. Mm-hmm. So, um, in 2009, I did my four day training to be a grief recovery specialist. Mm-hmm. So, that was the big changing point. Um, so, I then I did grief recovery to my business. And I was in a business networking group promoting my nutritional therapy and my grief recovery work. And um, I needed some logos designing. And um, so Ian was a graphic designer. Wow. So I asked him to, to do me a logo. And I remember the very first time I saw him at a networking meeting, he wasn't in my networking group. He was in another branch, different branch, same group. And he was at our group visiting. And he stood up and talked for 60 seconds, you know, these breakfast meetings where you do that. Mm-hmm. And I just thought I could listen to that for more than 60 seconds. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> and, you know, then I clocked the wedding ring on his fingers. Like, oh, what? Typical. Taken. And, taken. Um, so anyway, nice guy. And we became quite friendly. And then he decided, then he started doing design work from like designing my leaflets and, and um, my promotional materials. So I was a client. He was a supplier. Um, and uh, so, so scroll forward couple of years and um there was this facebook status update <laughs> ian henson that said separated Ooh. Ooh. okay really okay so i'll send him a text uh <laughs> mate, just seen your status update is everything okay and he's like what status update <laughs> and i said <laughs> Uh, it says you've separated. Oh, that, that's old news. Oh, Ooh, even better. <laughs> oh, but that's not what I said, rub block, right? You know, so, you know. Oh, uh, um, so in my, with my grief recovery head on, I'm thinking his relationship's just ended. He's going to need to grieve and, and my <laughs> 17 year marriage and the 40 something single woman who's been in a dating nightmare for the last few years is going get in there before someone else gets in <laughs> <laughs> so um so originally we met business networking say so he was a supplier and then one day i played the single lady card which is i had quite a big garden and it had river at the bottom and there'd been a fl- it had flooded so it had moved a load of um old cut down trees from the edge of the garden mm. all the way up and then the flood water dumped them in the middle of the lawn and then receded mm. so i actually said could you do me a favor i said i can't move this stuff on my own if you pop round help me move <laughs> them i'll cook you some dinner as a thank you because mm. single men need feeding right 
So um, I got out my secret weapons, <laughs> which is Thai green curry. Mm -hmm. Oh, wow. And a really good bottle of red. <laughs> you, know, you know what they say, that the way to a, man, a man's heart is through his stomach. Oh, you know, and, and you just proved one, one um, Instagram tactics that they call shooting your shot, where you yeah. slide into someone's DM. <laughs> so what you did. Slid in right quickly. She shot her shot. You shot your shot. Now I must admit, oh, yeah. it wasn't, you know, five minutes after he separated. This was actually months. Like that, I think that status update was at, he, he posted it in March or something. So this dinner was actually December. So I was impatiently paying a patient game. <laughs> I was so impatient. Awesome, I'll, awesome. I'll take it back a bit as well. Mm -hmm. that, so back in the, back in the spring, I'd been through, I'd been to an event some friend put on, bunch of women and we were um setting out like you know dream boards you know we put magazines photos from magazines and um and I actually quite like the the exercise and um I'd, I'd you know I'd put a picture of Daniel Craig up there as like my aspirational <laughs> tall fair men right so um I put that up there and um bizarrely just two days later, got a message on the data from someone in Denmark who looked remarkably like Daniel Craig. And it was not going to go anywhere because he had like five words of English. But I thought, hmm, maybe there's something in this. So I looked at it. I thought, you know what? I'm going to sit down and write what it is I actually want from a man. Hmm. So I actually sat and made a list of all the characteristics, physical characteristics, you know, minimum five foot ten. I'm five foot three. <laughs> All the tall girls say, hey, why do you have to take the tall ones? <laughs> but, uh, and, um, blah, blah, blah. You know, I, I described him physically. I described him intellectually and I described him emotionally. So all the aspects to this man, his interests, hobbies, and all out. And I said, this is what I would like, please, universe. <laughs> this is the man that I want. Please introduce him to me. Mm -hmm. And then when I read it back afterwards, and I said, well, blow me down. That's Ian Henderson. <laughs> I read it back and I thought so what I was actually sending out was I want someone like Ian Henderson because Ian was taken right he was married at the point that I did this exercise I just stuck it on my wall <laughs> like the university is on one um, so it just the timing when his marriage was ending which was going to end anyway um, and he went through his painful bit through that summer and then we came together in the December mm. and um, I again I knew I knew that this mm. was just going to be different and I think because we already had a relationship you know we had this business relationship we were already friendly mm. um, so we kind of kind of knew a little bit about each other so it just felt very natural to continue that um, by mm. this point um, I had two dogs. He had a dog. So we were in a step-dog situation. Mm. <laughs> but they were grown-ups, you know, like in their 20s. So the whole step-mum thing wasn't going to be an issue. Um, so, you know, by that point, I'd done so much grief recovery work. I was really peaceful with, I loved mm. Kevin with all my heart. Mm. and 
So Ian was not a replacement. Ian was mm. my, also, I loved with all my heart and with a bit more awareness of the gratitude of having it for a second time. I feel mm. incredibly privileged and humbled that I've, you know, met someone so special the second time. I do know that the grief recovery tools helped me mm-hmm. start this fresh and not bring old crap with me into this new relationship. Mm-hmm. And I think the real tip for anyone going into a new relationship is be peaceful with your past relationship before you start a new one. Mm-hmm. And um, so when I talk about Kevin, sometimes it's with a smile on my face because he was a lovely guy. Mm-hmm. Sometimes it's sad because he was 41. It's just wrong. Mm-hmm. And uh, sometimes with a wry smile because he could be an arrogant what's it to live with and, and really difficult to live with. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'd got to the point of accepting that there would be no one else like him. Mm-hmm. And that if I met someone else, it would be completely different. And the thing to do is to say, Ian's different and that's okay. Mm. Um, Because, and I've never compared them. I notice differences. I'm, you know, I'm a human being, right? You know, so I notice differences, Mm -hmm. but I've never said, oh, well, you know, Kevin would have done that or... Mm. At least Ian does this, so I don't. I don't compare mm-hmm. because it's just not fair. It's like we wouldn't compare our girlfriends. We True. wouldn't, compare, um, you know. But we've got this horrible habit as women. I can't speak for the men of you know ranking, you know, they're ranking the ex boyfriends or, or compare, comparing notes with our girlfriends on what they're doing with their partners. Just not fair because everyone's individual. Um, so here's the thing. You have a right to be happy. Mm. Now, for you, happiness might be being on your own for the rest of your life. Mm. That's great. Mm -hmm. For you, happiness might be finding love with someone new, and that's great too. There are no rules and no one else gets to decide, only you get to decide. That's so powerful. And I'm really pleased to say um, when I... I did have a a longish term relationship sort of in between that, uh, that lasted about a year. And I remember plucking up courage to tell Kevin's mum that I was in the relationship because that's the bit that was scaring me. And she, I was fortunate in many ways. She said, I'm pleased to hear it. Mm, Wow. You deserve a bit of happiness in your life. And it's choking me up now because she could have been an absolute bitch because <laughs> mm. I have heard so many stories of mother-in-laws from hell um, mm. but she wasn't you know she said you deserve some happiness mm. so in this situation if you find yourself in this situation if you're listening to me and going oh no my mother I said do you know what you didn't marry them mm. the contract ended when they died so while your love for them doesn't Mm-hmm. It changes into something else. Mm-hmm. So I still love Kevin, but I'm no longer in love with Kevin. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I value everything he gave me and everything it taught me. He made me the woman I am today. Mm-hmm. And sometimes I still have conversations with him, and Ian is cool with that because mm-hmm. he knows mm-hmm. that Kevin is the person who helped me become the woman that I am. Mm-hmm. And if Kevin hadn't died, I wouldn't be doing what I do now. And that mm-hmm. sometimes is a bit weird. 
It is. Yeah. So I think, well, not only did I feel better and, mm -hmm. you know, I started to help others, I changed my entire life. I now do grief recovery full time. Mm -hmm. I employ four people helping me do this. In nutritional therapy practice, I, I, I retired from five years ago because I couldn't do both. Um, so literally everything that I do now is because the man love died. So all this wow. positive stuff has come out from that. Yeah. Wow. So beautiful. Wow. And so good. do you know what? So good. It's give yourself a break. If you have had this catastrophic loss and no one who hasn't been through it can really get the impact of losing your soulmate, your life partner, mm -hmm. the one that you thought you were going to get forever. Mm -hmm. It's a loss onto its own and there's, there, there's no comparing, you know, I'm not saying it's worse than others or, or easier mm -hmm. than others. It's just huge. Okay. That's all I'm saying is it's huge. Mm -hmm. And if you choose to then say, I want to love someone else. And people say, well, you know, you can't love another one the same. Well, those of you with kids will really get this. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you have five kids. Yeah. How many of them do you love with all your heart? All of them. All of them. All of them. Yeah. So you can love five separate individuals with all your heart yeah. and have love to give your partner. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It's the same with a romantic relationship. The difference is we're doing one at a time, not five at once. <laughs> Well, I might go through that phase. <laughs> um, uh, and that's fine too if that's what floats your boat. But yeah. the point is you can love with all your heart more than once. Yeah. You can find it real more than once. But I do know that that's less likely to happen if you haven't got peaceful with that first relationship first. Yeah. And if you want to know how to get peaceful, then, you know, look up brief recovery. Mm -hmm. um, it, it makes such a difference. And the question... And I get asked most of how do you know when you're ready? Because mm. you'll try and you'll find out that you're not. Mm. And you don't know where your boundaries are until they've been crossed. Mm. A little bit like that, you know, you have to kind of put your foot in to that shark infested pond that is dating. <laughs> and if it's, you know, it feels like it's numbing your toes, it's that cold and, and scary. Do you know what? Pull out, it can wait. Exactly. Awesome. Wow. And wow. you know, about what it is you really want mm. think about what it is you really want and put it out there because you never know you might just get it wow wow um, <laughs> carol has taken us on a journey isn't it wow I was you know, all the way. <laughs> yes, and you've dropped so many gems mm. you know all true and there's so much our listeners can glean from, you know, the conversation we've had, you know, and it's obvious that you are talking from a place of peace. And um, this is one thing that we want to encourage our listeners to pursue. Um, Carol has spoken a lot about how getting to that place of positive introspection, where she's been able to look into her life and, try to evaluate things look at the glass half full rather than half empty look at the positives look at the blessings you know and i think it's such a powerful thing to be able to look at your situation and draw from it as opposed to just imagining that my life is empty empty you know this is overwhelming there's always light you know and it's our encouragement to you to look out for the light yeah. you know and one I of the things that ended out of sight 
Yes, yes. And one of the things that you talked about that I just want to mention, I know we're going to be wrapping up soon. You talked about the importance of having insurance, Mm -hmm. you know, and I know that in the black and ethnic um, minority community groups, um, it's something that we don't really talk about a lot. You know, if you ask an average um, couple, do you have insurance, live insurance? They're like, what is that? God forbid, you know? And so this is just a shout out, a reminder. If you don't have insurance, live insurance, critical care insurance, healthcare insurance, Mm -hmm. it's a conversation that you must have. In fact, uh, maybe, maybe we should do an episode on that, you know, um, Stella, yeah. <laughs> for season three. Because so, you know what? It's hell. It's hellish mm. if you're trying to do it while you're poor as well. Mm. Yeah. To worry about the roof over your head at the same time. Um, and here's the thing. If you're insured, it doesn't kill you quicker. Mm. Mm. <laughs> it really doesn't. It's not tempting fate or any yeah. of that stuff. Because I've I've met countless widows and widowers, and some are insured and some aren't. It does. That's not the denominator, right? Mm-hmm. Exactly. That's not the. That, that's not it. So, or like writing a will. Some people think if they write a will, they're inviting death. That's they're preempting true. death. No. It's no. the certainty. We're all going to die. Exactly. It's just a matter of when. Yeah. Um, that's and that's the thing. And and the other quick word, as you say, we're kind of wrapping up. But I just want to get the thing in because the word I didn't use at any point was guilt. We are going to ask you about that. Well, come on, tell us about it, Carol. <laughs> Screw that. Mm. Screw that. Um, excuse my language. But, you know, you've lost your life partner. This journey is flipping hard enough without torturing yourself with what mm. ifs around that. Mm. So mm. if you date again, you have nothing to be guilty about or even thinking about dating again or thinking about what it might be like to be with someone else Mm -hmm. or you know just frankly just have some physical action again because you're lonely and you just want to be held or you just want to be touched Mm. they call that widow's fire you know when you get the urges Mm -hmm. and there's nothing to do that that is a real thing Mm. isn't it thing and if you don't feel guilty normal natural physiological needs you still have them because you guess what are still alive and to go back to this thing um even the church says till death is too part yeah you are whatever your beliefs are about the afterlife there's no sexual jealousy in heaven Mm -hmm. so you have nothing there's no marriage in heaven there's no what and whatever your beliefs are around that here's the thing here on earth you're not doing anything illegal or anything immoral mm-hmm. what you are doing is finding a new way to live again mm-hmm. with meaning and purpose and joy and happiness because it's all possible even if you are still sad sometimes because that part of your life is no longer here that's all possible and there is absolutely nothing to be guilty about or feel guilty for just do it and enjoy wow. yourself and you will make mistakes mm-hmm. and you're allowed to feel bad about that. But forget the G word. I'm banning yeah. it. 
Mm -hmm. yes. it is banned and, and banned and banned yeah banned. we did a, we did an episode in season one and it was on guilt and the emotion i think people thought we were fighting in the studio because the <laughs> the, the emotion with which we were the encouraging passion. our the passion guilt no yeah. stop it you know so, yeah. Yeah. Thank you. it's it's just a waste of energy mm. and serves no purpose mm -hmm. i'm gonna say again you are alive yeah mm. they are it's incredibly sad and tragic that they aren't mm -hmm. you are alive mm -hmm. please live mm -hmm. and if it helps you to remember me deciding that i was going to live for two mm. come up with your own version of that yeah yeah and decide to live embrace life do something that you want to do take that just you can make the changes yeah. it might not happen overnight but you can make the changes. Keep listening to these lovely ladies. They'll give you some more <laughs> food for thought and pointers along the way. It is possible. And, and this is the hope and the message I want. It's possible to be happy again. Yeah. It is possible to find joy again. It is possible to find genuine, true love again. Mm. You do not have to settle. Mm. And that's wow. the other really important message. You do yeah. not have to settle. Yeah. Wow. Settle mm. Just because you're in your 50s, you think you might not do any better. Rubbish. Mm. Rubbish. Doesn't matter what age you are. If you're 50, 60, 70, in your 80s, mm -hmm. do not settle. Find the right companion for you for the rest of your days. Wow. Love wow. it. Wow. What a beautiful, inspiring, wisdom-filled <laughs> session. Oh, Carol, thank you so much. We're going to have you back again soon. Ah. Mm. Uh, Dear listeners, I hope you have been truly, truly, truly instructed and inspired from today's session. It's been really enlightening and there's so many, so many germs to take from it. And we just really want to say a big thank you to everyone again for tuning in. Um, please feel free to reach out to us if you've got any questions for Carol or for us. Just send us an email at hello at whenlifestops.org. And we're going to put Carol's contact details in the show notes so you can reach her directly. And she does this amazing work of grief, grief recovery. And so you can get in touch with her and Daytola, and they can help you along the path to full recovery. Yeah. Wow. That's, that's right, Stella. And thank you so much, Carol. This was just so insightful. It was amazing. And I think it's one we need to listen to over and over again. So thank you so much. So to our listeners, don't forget to leave us a review or comment on any podcast app that you're listening from. Remember, we tend to give out shout outs to those who leave us comments. We've been doing that on some of the episodes. And um, that's it really. So listeners, we really hope you found this episode helpful and encouraging and comforting. And so till next time, we pray that you find the grace to find new meaning to life after loss. Thank you again, Carol. Thank you You're so welcome. much. And thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye, listeners. Catch you on the next episode. God bless you. Bye. Bye.